Well, I don't know you, but chances are pretty good that you know how to walk. You can put one foot in front of the other and move from point A to point B. But did you know that the Bible uses the idea of walking as a metaphor? Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. You understand the implications of what it means to walk worthy. Are you walking this morning? Are you walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called? It's a conviction. I'm gonna get back in the walk. I'm gonna get back on the path and I'm not gonna walk alone. That's what Christ is calling us to this morning. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. You know, there's an interesting article from Harvard Medical School about the five surprising benefits of walking. Do you want to hear them? First, they say that walking counteracts the effects of weight-promoting genes. Walking also helps tame a sweet tooth. Walking reduces the risk of developing certain kinds of cancer. It also eases joint pain. And finally, it boosts your immune function. Now, you and I both know there are a lot of different styles of walking, and some are going to be better than others. Today on Resonate, Pastor Trent is going to dive into a passage in the Bible where God has something to say to all of us about how we walk. So let's listen together. Here's Pastor Trent. I love the fact that we open the service by opening our Bibles, and it is time once again to do that. Let me invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you were here back in September, I asked you to open to Ephesians chapter 1 for the first time as we began to walk verse by verse through this incredibly rich section of Scripture. And uh, we've been learning that the book of Ephesians is actually probably the most structured book in the Bible. It's very well organized, and it's kind of divided into two parts. And as we began to walk through it, we learned that in the first three chapters, it was all about these indicative, declarative, vertical statements about God and our identity in Christ. And I told you that the second half of the book is very different. Well, I just ask you to open to the second half of the book as we dive into this. Let me give you a little review as we've walked through it here. The book of Ephesians could be uh, divided into two sections. The first three chapters is all about the indicatives, these declarative statements that are objectively true of God and objectively true of those who have find their identity in Christ. The second half, verses or uh, chapters four through six, are all about these imperative statements, things that you need to do and stop doing based on what the indicative said about you and about God in the first three chapters. So the first three chapters are all about our identity in Christ. The second three chapters are all about our, acti- our activity in Christ. The first three chapters are about our position in Christ. The second three chapters are about our practice. The first three chapters are about who I am. And the next three chapters are about what I do. In order to remind ourselves of this little exercise, do you remember some of the things that God said are true about those who are in Christ? In the first chapter, he said, we are holy. We are chosen. We are blameless. So turn to your neighbor right now, look them in the eye, smile, they need that, and say, I am holy. Just do that right now. Now, do you remember what you're supposed to say back to the person that just told you they were holy? 
then act like it for crying out loud. And give me all this stuff about being chosen and holy and blameless. Act like it. Well, we finally reached the part where we're going to be told to act like it. It's not now about the indicatives. It is now about the imperatives. Now, when you go to church, it is important that you get the indicatives before the imperatives. Now, in our culture and our default humanity, what we want to do is we want to ignore God's imperatives. Again, the imperatives are do this and don't do that. Does everybody understand that in the Bible, there are some do's and don'ts? There are. But it's important that we get the do's and don'ts in the right order. The culture ignores God's imperatives and it ignores God's indicatives. The culture doesn't really care what God has to say. They want to be their own God and do whatever they want to do. As Christians, we come and we're very concerned with God's indicatives and God's imperatives. But what so often happens is we end up creating this religious, man-made, self-righteous, religious activity that shouts imperatives. How many of you ever went to a church that shouted the imperatives? Don't do that. Stop doing that. Do this. You been to a church like that? You don't go to that church anymore, do you? Uh, you don't go to that church anymore, do you? Okay? Because what we do around here is we get the gospel. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel shouts the indicatives and then it ignites the imperatives. Because of what God says about who we are, it radically changes what we do. So we're going to dive into this section of scripture over the next few weeks about some do's and some don'ts. But if you start at Ephesians chapter four, you are going to fail miserably unless you are saturated with the truth of what was in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And here's what we're going to understand today as we dive into this section. The new series is called Walk Worthy, A Deeper conviction. Because here's what happens. Indicatives turn imperatives into convictions. All of the imperatives that God says externally, you're supposed to do, do this, do that. Listen, when it gets in your heart and in your soul, that's when from the inside out, you obey God, not because he said it, but because you believe it and you love him and you want to live a life that is worthy of what he says is true about you. That's when the indicatives turn the imperatives into convictions. Convictions is an interesting word. Now, when you come to church, um, if I do my job right and you do your job right, you should feel some conviction. Do, do you know what a conviction is? the Holy Spirit begins to press those imperatives into your soul and you realize, you know what, on Tuesday afternoon, I really wasn't like what God says I was supposed to be like. And here I am being confronted with the truth of those imperatives and the Holy Spirit brings weight and conviction and it might feel kind of like a pressing into your soul and your seat might get hot and your palms start to sweat and your, your heart starts to beat when you realize, you know what? God is calling me to change. So here's the first area that God is going to convict us about. And here's the title of the message. We need to be convicted about unity. 
unity. Did anybody notice anywhere in the news this week, anybody talking about the subject of unity? Um, Is there a little disunity going on in our culture right now? Did anybody watch President Trump's inaugural address? Did you watch, how many of you watched that? Did anybody notice that he quoted a Bible verse? Now, of all of the Bible verses available to President Trump, the one that he picked was Psalm 133, verse one. This is what it says. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You know what? You can be an atheist and say amen to that. Everybody values how good and pleasant it is when there's no strife and contention and fighting and warring and shouting and hating. That seems to be what the whole culture wants, but nobody knows how to achieve it except people who are in Christ. And that's what we're going to learn here as we dive into chapter four of Ephesians. Chapter four, verse one of Ephesians says this, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, there's our word, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let me just tell you, I had prepared to preach a message all the way down to verse six. I tried that last night. I never got to point two of the message, okay? So we're gonna cut it off right here and we're gonna do just one point message and here is the point we're trying to make here this morning. Walking in unity requires personal conviction. Walking in unity requires personal convictions. Back up here in verse one, he says, therefore. See the word therefore? That is the hinge word of the whole book. The word therefore connects everything that he said in chapter one through three to everything he's about to say in chapters four through six. It's the hinge upon which the whole book turns. And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, remember Paul the apostle is writing this in a prison cell, because he was a man of conviction. He refused to compromise. He would rather go to jail than for people to go to hell. And so he is writing to the church, those in Christ from a prison cell because he was a man of conviction. And he wants them to know that because he's about to say some hard things. He says, a prisoner of the Lord, he says, I urge you, This is an urgent matter. It's an urgent matter in our culture. It's the most urgent matter in the church because if we don't get this right, it will destroy the culture. It will destroy the church. It's been destroying families. It's been destroying relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and employers and employees. This is an urgent matter. Is this an urgent matter? Unity, an urgent matter? Everybody understand that? Some of you have some destructive relationships right now. You're in you are enduring incredibly painful relationships because there's no unity. And you're wondering, how do we achieve it? Here it is. I urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I love the words calling and call here. The only reason I can sleep tonight as a pastor is to know that my voice is not the only voice calling you to walk worthy. If I thought that getting you to walk worthy was dependent upon my ability to articulate to you all the reasons why you should walk worthy, I I would be insane. The only reason I can sleep tonight is to know that it is God who is calling every person in every seat in this room right now. Are you listening to the calling of God to get you from where you are to where you need to be? I love the word picture here. Did you see it? As a matter of fact, some of you read that and you're so familiar with the Bible that you just let the the most often repeated word picture in the Bible slide right past you and you didn't even think about it. What is the most often repeated word picture in the New Testament? We just read it. What is it? Walking. And it's so common, we don't even think about it. Think about the implications of why Paul used this word. Okay, now think about this. Put yourself back in first century Ephesus. Do you understand that Paul walked everywhere he went? No bicycles, no cars, no planes, no trains, not even any sidewalks. If you wanted to get somewhere, it was going to involve walking. And Paul uses that picture to describe what the Christian life is all about. Around here, we like to use that term. It's part of our discipleship philosophy. We talk about a quality disciple around here does three things. He worships Christ, he walks with Christ, and he works for Christ. And so this is, this is not an insignificant word picture here. Just think about what's involved in walking, okay? It involves realizing I've got somewhere to go. I'm not where I should be. I've, I've got a destination ahead of me. And so I've got to start walking. Uh, walking involves balance. And we're learning in Ephesians that there's a balance between indicatives and imperatives. If you, if you just sit around and think about the indicatives, you're not gonna go anywhere. If you just think about the imperatives, you're not gonna have any motivation to go anywhere. So there's some balance. There's a balance in the scripture of grace and truth. If you're out of balance on grace... then then you're not real interested in the things that need to change in your life. If you're out of balance in truth, then you always feel condemned because you never get it right. You need the grace. And so walking involves balance. And some of you aren't walking because you're out of balance. There's balance in the Bible between love and truth. And all of these things are important if we're gonna walk. So we've gotta get the balance right. I, I was praying for our church this week. And I was just, when I pray, I see faces of those in the congregation. And and quite honestly, not everybody in the room right now is walking worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so I began to think about why aren't some people walking? Are you walking? I mean, you need to ask yourself this question. Are you feeling some conviction right now? Are you walking worthy of the gospel? The word worthy obviously talks about value. And so the point he's trying to make is this. 
the manner of my walk reveals the measure of Christ's worth in my life. When it comes down to it, the manner of my walk reveals the measure of Christ's worth. How much is Jesus Christ worth to you? The more value you place in Jesus Christ, the more motivated you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, there are some people in the room right now that are not walking worthy because you've never taken your first step. How many parents in the room? How many parents? Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Do you remember back to when you had that first child? You bring them home from the hospital and you put them in one place and you come back three hours later and they're still in the same spot. It's a glorious thing. And it can actually deceive you into thinking this is easy, okay? But after a while, all that flab on those legs, remember those chubby little legs, remember those things? Pretty soon that starts to develop into some muscle. And then they crawl over to the coffee table and they kind of lift themselves up. And all of a sudden, they're not just laying there, they're now standing. And they're wobbling, you know, and they're trying to get their balance. And then after a while, they, they let go with one hand and, and they realize this thing moves. And they begin to figure out, this can take me places. I, I, I can become mobile. And all of a sudden, dad's on the other end of the room. And mom's got the iPhone out. And we are about to experience this child's very first step. And dad's over there saying, you can do it. Come on. I'm just, come on. You can do it. You can do it. And they take one step. And then what do they do? They fall right on their face and they scream and they sue you for encouraging them to go places. And, and then, I mean, it's, it's a bad deal. Did you know that there are some people in this room right now that aren't walking because you've never taken your first step toward your father? And this morning, do you hear the father calling you, come to me? through Christ. You can't do this alone, but taking your first step to Christ because the Father is drawing and wooing and calling you out of a love for the Father. You turn your back on where you were, whatever direction you were going, or maybe just sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're moving toward the Father. Have you taken your first step? If you haven't, you're not walking worthy of the calling. Christ wants relationship with you. Your father wants to restore. Your father wants to forgive. Your father wants you near him. He's calling you this morning. And if, if in Christ, you will turn from sin and put your trust in Christ and his work on the cross, you can be reconciled with the father and you can take your first step. There are some other people in here. You've taken your first step. You may have taken 10 or 12 steps. You may have walked miles actually with Christ. But this morning you're not walking worthy. Um, this past week, Andrew and I, uh, we, we had some ministry to do in Florida. I know, I know. You, you want another run at that? Just, just go ahead. I, I deserve it. We had some ministry to do in Florida. 
Yeah, I know. I feel, you feel bad for me. I appreciate that. So um, if you know Andrea, she loves the sun and she loves to get out in the sun. She loves to take walks when we're in Florida. I don't necessarily have any affection for walking, but I do have affection for Andrea. So I walk with Andrea, not because I like to walk, but because I like Andrea. And uh, Andrea is a very hard person to take a walk with. So um, I think it was on Tuesday, we were walking on the beach down there. And uh, the reason it's hard to take a walk with Andrea is because she notices things that I otherwise would ignore. So we're walking on the beach and pretty soon I lose Andrea. I'm like, where did she go? I turn back around and she's back over here and she's, she's knelt down and she's playing with a crab that she found in the sand. And I'm like, I thought we were taking a walk. I didn't know we were doing marine biology at this point. And, uh, and, and then at another place, uh, we, we took a walk on a nice sidewalk in a well-groomed landscaped area. And there's these nice bushes and everything. And all of a sudden I noticed I'm walking alone again. And I turn back around and Andrea's found a little yellow flower that's, that's fascinated her. And then she found a purple flower over here. And, and for, for, her, for Andrea, walking is a very interactive experience. She, she likes, she notices things. I, for me, it is just all about getting this thing over with, you know, and getting to the place we're supposed to go and burning some calories. So anyway, I, I thought about some people in our church that walk like Andrea. You get distracted with pretty things or, or shiny things. And some of you are not walking worthy of the calling to which you've been called because you have gotten distracted. Maybe it's a career, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your education, maybe it's a sin. And this morning, God is calling you to get moving again. Take another step. No matter how far you've come, no matter how, how long you've uh, strayed from the path, you need to keep walking. There are some other people here that aren't walking because you've gotten tripped up and you have fallen. You may have even broken something and, and you're just sitting there, maybe in pain this morning. This past week, I was driving home and 10 doors down from my house is the house of Bob and Donna Hogarth. And if you don't know Bob and Donna, they were the ones that God used to, to create the vision for, we wouldn't, none of us would be here this morning if it wasn't for Bob and Donna having a vision to, to plant a, a church in Granger, Harvest Bible Chapel. And, and uh, I, I drove past their house and there was an ambulance and a fire truck. And I'm like, oh no, what's going on? I texted Bob and Donna real quick and I said, what's going on? And, and Bob let me know that Donna had actually fallen and broken her leg. And uh, they did the x-rays and they realized that the reason that she broke this leg is because the other leg had been broken for a while and wasn't bearing the weight. And, and uh, Donna had surgery and, and she, Donna's not gonna be walking for a while. She's in rehab. And, but if you know Donna, she's gonna be walking faster uh, than most people would because of her tenacity to get back in, in ministry. Have you fallen and been broken and are experiencing such pain that you're not walking worthy anymore? And maybe you're blaming a mother or a father, or you're blaming somebody that abused you or mistreated you or somebody that gave you a dirty look or, or all kinds of excuses why you've broken. Listen, God wants to bring healing and you may walk from this point on with a limp, but God wants you to walk worthy. 
No matter what's happened, no matter how much pain, no matter how much brokenness is in your past, God, your father is calling you to get back on the path. There are some other people here that aren't walking because you've walked so long and so far, you're tired. And in your mind, you're thinking, man, I just don't know if I can take another step. Do you know how hard this life is? Do you know how long this path seems? And you may be somebody of an older generation. You feel like it's time for somebody else to walk. Here, here's a nice park bench. And I'm just gonna find a place right here and I'll just applaud those people that are walking and carrying the load. No, no, no. Your father is calling you to walk worthy of the gospel to which you have been called. There are some other people here and you're walking and the only problem for you is you're walking alone. And he who walks alone does not walk far. Because after a while you see a park bench or you see a flower or you see something shiny and it causes you to get off the path. We walk together because we need sometimes to lean on people and we need people to tell us we need to take another step. And I know you wanna give up and I know that you're in pain, but we're gonna get to the finish line together. Do you understand the implications of what it means to walk worthy? Are you walking this morning? Are you walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's a conviction. I'm going to get back in the walk. I'm going to get back on the path and I'm not going to walk alone. That's what Christ is calling us to this morning. Pastor Trent has been showing us that God wants us to walk worthy of the calling to which he has called us. Walking in unity is so important when it comes to church. Jesus didn't say, Others will know you're my followers if you win every debate. Or, this is how all will recognize you as my disciples, if you dress a certain way and enjoy certain kinds of music. No, he said, if you love one another, that's how others will know you're connected to me. And there's no better place for you to put that into practice than in your local church. God has placed you in your church for a reason. So work on being a source of unity and love rather than division and contention. Now, if you don't currently have a church family, why not look into Gospel City Church? In fact, could I invite you to visit our website? It's mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And when you go there, go to the About tab at the top of the page and scroll down to where it says, What We Believe. That's where you'll find what we call our four pillars. Check it out. Then come worship with us. Our service times and locations are on our website, mygospelcity.org. Well, how should you and I maintain unity? Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will explain five important ingredients to unity found in this passage from Ephesians chapter four. We'll hear the conclusion of this message next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart this week.
Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.